0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Decaf, a production of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. Taylor and Mark are back with you again on, you know, Mark, I see those memes on Facebook about the seasons and how you have like winter, really brutal winter, false spring, false summer. I feel like we're in our false spring right now. Uh, Yesterday it was like 80 degrees, and when I woke up this morning to go to Mentoring Super Early, it was 54. I don't know how to keep up. My sinuses don't know how to keep up. Everyone is struggling right now, and I need some relief.
1: I know the next week it's supposed to be I don't think it goes under 72 in Tennessee or like under 65. And then I'm going to New York where it's gonna be like 40s all week. So it's gonna be a real adjustment for me with the with the weather. But it is nice right now.
0: The low next Friday night is like 41 after being in the high 70s all week next week. So Yeah, my sinuses are not reacting super well to it. So if I sound a little phlegmy today, that's why. But if you're listening from Tennessee, you probably, or Alabama, or anywhere near us, you probably feel my pain, exactly. Um, Last, If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you might remember that in November, Mark and I did a thankful for portion of our show. And we talked about something that we were thankful for that happened in Tennessee last year. And we spent a lot of time talking about the ESA program and how the Education Savings Account Program is active for this year in Tennessee. And that's what we were super thankful for. Now that we have had a little bit of time for families to begin applying and get their children into schools because of the ESA program, I want to bring it up again because I went to Memphis a couple of weeks ago and interviewed a woman whose daughter is enrolled at a small private Christian school in Memphis because of the ESA program. We're gonna have her story and her video coming out very soon on our social media channels and on our website. But I wanna take a minute to talk about it because there's a lot of talk in politics right now about school choice, the pros, the cons. I have my feelings about the cons that people are expressing and who is expressing them. But I, after talking to this mother, I think that every single naysayer of school choice needs to talk to somebody. Who can look them in the eyes and say, the ESA program changed my life because now I can send my child to a school that meets her needs. This mother was bullied when she was in high school. She ended up dropping out and being homeschooled her last year. She's the first person in her family to get a high school degree. And she says, education is important. And now I can send my child to a school that fits her needs to a school where I know she's gonna be safe, where I know she's gonna succeed, and I don't have to worry about putting food on the table on top of that. If that does not move you to the point of action to make ESAs and school choice universal in Tennessee and help as many families as possible, I don't know what else I can do for you. It's it's so moving to hear these stories and people need to hear them and know that this is available to families like Roxanne's. That's the one I talked to, Roxanne. Mark, I know you don't get out there and get to talk to as many people as I get to because of my job, but you have experience with this too. You're, on, you're watching the news, seeing all the news in the media all the time. What are, what are your thoughts about the, the naysayers and the compelling information that we have now that children's and families' lives are being changed?
1: I actually really like what you said. I think that, you know, people, it's always good to get different worldviews and kind of see the people affected by certain policies. We talk about that with everything we do. It's like, who's affected by this? How does it change their lives? And I think a lot of the people who are kind of anti-choice, you know, pro whatever union pretty much and not, not open for the kids, like talk to somebody who has been able to use that. Mm-hmm. Talk to somebody who is not in the same life circumstances. Because I feel like, a lot of the people who oppose school choice are limousine liberals. They are these people who are rich, they are, you know, white, rich people in these, you know, coastal cities who they just don't see how it affects people, you know, and they say, "Oh, I think this is good because I'm pro-union stuff, but they don't have any real context for it. They just think it's bad." Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to talk to somebody, especially you know, in a minority community or in a community that's, you know, disadvantaged in other ways and or kids who are disadvantaged financially or whatever else to say, "Hey, listen, let me live my life. Let my kid go to a good school. I don't need you to tell me where my kid you know, can and can't go to school. And I think your point is really is, – is good because I think that everybody for every issue should talk to somebody, right? And of course, you know, emotions one thing. It's great. But there's also – you know, I think there's stats, there's facts, and all of that also back up school choice for the most part. So yes. I think when you get these stories of how people's lives are changed by certain policies, and then you also say, look, also the numbers are on our side. That's a winning combination. That's what we did in in Tennessee. And I think specifically in Tennessee, you know, we have – you can only talk to people in Shelby and Davidson County in certain districts. And it would be great, you know, for other places that don't have it yet to talk to these people and say, you know what? Maybe this is something that we should be pushing for, whether it's in, you know, Knoxville, Chattanooga – not, it doesn't have to be cities. It could be Dixon. It could be, you know, anywhere in the state. Mm. Um, But I think that it's good that we did that. And, and it's important to talk to people who really do are, are either benefit or hurt by your policies. And I would urge a lot of the people who are against school choice for, I guess, I I don't quite understand why, I guess. I I don't, I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I guess. Yeah. That's probably right. Political reasons. I would ask them to go talk to somebody who benefits or could benefit from it, and really get their perspective on how their education is, because we have this whole idea that—and it's wrong—that the public schools that aren't good, it's because they're underfunded. That's BS. It's—it's been—it's misguided. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. Um, and and that somehow just putting more money in the system—that's what we keep saying—it's underfunded. It's like there's no—we could be paying 000, 000 a million dollars a student, and they would still say it's underfunded. So it's a—it's a BS term that they use that means literally nothing. But. If you can get out of that context, like let me talk to somebody who actually did this. Like, oh, this person, there's, you know, they paid fourteen thousand dollars per student at this school. It was terrible for them. They went to a private school or whatever charter school is, you know, eighty five hundred, and it was way better. It's not about money. And I think that the more if these people can actually talk to people who have benefited from it or could benefit from it, it might change their perspective a bit.
0: Well, and we talk a lot of times about generational poverty and generational generations not getting opportunities. Grandmother didn't get an opportunity. So mom didn't get an opportunity. So now daughter's not going to get an opportunity. And that's what Roxanne touched on a little bit in her video. She got emotional and I'm going to try not to get emotional now because when she started crying, I started crying and it was just a mess. But um, she talked about how generational curses are going to be broken because she was able to send her child to a school where she felt safe and it met her needs and her little girl can read and she can count and she can do phonics and she's comf- confident and comfortable in her school. And she even admitted, she said, maybe it would have been this way for her in a public school. I don't know, but I don't have to find out now. And that's the whole point is the mom has determined based on her experience that she wants something for her daughter that she didn't have herself. And the ESA program made that possible. And I think that as we see the program grow, there are currently 5,000 spots for Tennessee students. Um, Once those are filled, hopefully we can expand and expand and expand. And I think as we see the program grow and as we see more students enroll in schools that are changing their lives, it is going to end some of these generational poverty cases that we see families' lives are going to be changed because these children are given a chance to do something they never would have been able to do before. So if you know anyone in Shelby or Davidson County and you think they might be eligible for this program, visit esa.tnedu.gov. They have all the information there. They have an application. Applications are open right now, and they're open for the next little bit. Apply for the program. It could change your life. And stay tuned for our video about Roxanne Glass and her daughter, Nicole. Um, it, if, it, if it, I have chills like thinking about it right now. I just felt the, the chill box come up on of my arms. If it does not compel you to take action and stand up for children who cannot stand up for themselves and stand up for parents who are just looking for another opportunity, I don't know what will. It, it truly is a life-changing opportunity that these families have
1: yeah, and like the last thing is I want to say something about the politicians who talk all the time about generational poverty and institutional racism that you talk about these things. But then, when you can actually help fix it, you are against it. So, I don't want to hear about these things and how like how it's such a major issue when you're not even to to fix the easiest, most common sense thing to give these kids who are at a disadvantage because they go to a terrible school or they go to a school that doesn't fit their needs or they're in this bad situation where, you know, financially they can't go anywhere other than their zone private school or zone public school that you need to give them a chance. I don't want to hear people talking about how much that matters unless they're actually willing to fix it in a meaningful way. And the easiest first way to fix that is by having universal school choice.
0: I fully agree. We will leave it on Mark's soapbox for this topic because yeah. I fully agree with you. Um. So big shakeup in Chicago this week. Um. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, soon to be former Mayor Lori Lightfoot, lost her reelection bid. I have so many thoughts about this. I have friends who have lived in Chicago and have left in recent years because of the crime skyrocketing through the roof. And you know, here's what I have to say about that: is you can campaign on something, you can make promises for something. You can say you're going to do something about things. The proof is in the pudding. The results are the numbers that we see and the out-migration that we're seeing from Chicago. Crime is so high. And so for Mayor Lightfoot to have won every single ward in Chicago when she first ran for election, for her to have close to 70% of the overall vote, she's blaming it on being a woman. She's blaming it on being a woman of color. You can't really do that if you were already elected. I'm sorry. Like, that doesn't matter because you were already elected. Like, that's not something you can hang your hat on. The proof is in their results. I don't think that anyone who is facing a criminal environment in their hometown is going to place their vote on anything other than that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with who she is as a person. I think it has everything to do with the results of her administration as mayor. I mean... And I don't know what it is. I've been thinking about this under the context of um, Mayor, what what was the Atlanta mayor's name? Keisha, something. I just Uh,
1: wrote. Oh, Keisha Lance Bottoms.
0: Keisha Lance Bottoms. Same thing happening in Atlanta. And there were signs all over Atlanta with her caricature in a Where's Waldo hat and it said, Where's Keisha? because she wasn't doing anything about it. In Nashville, our mayor, even though crime isn't as bad here, our mayor isn't running for reelection. There are so many things that have happened in the last four years with the pandemic, with just everything. And all of these mayors of big cities are seeing the tides turn against them and their policies. And I don't know if it's a trend. I don't know if we'll continue to see this. But I do think that the election in Chicago that just happened the other night is going to send a message that we got to get these cities under control and this crime under control um, if they're going to last and survive. And if they don't, then elected officials are going to be held accountable. That's my take. I know, Mark, yours is a little different. So what do you think about it?
1: Well, I think that you kind of did a disservice to how badly she did. To be (laughs) clear, she was an incumbent. Mayor she got 16% of the vote. So that means 84% of people voted against her. So it's a runoff. So she came in third. She didn't lose. She didn't even come in top 2. So there's going to be a runoff coming up. We we won't we won't talk about those candidates, but so she was um I think she was a horrendous candidate. She was a great candidate the first time, but kind of like what you said the the words didn't the rhetoric didn't match what she actually did right and you could say what you want about crime crime was clearly a factor i mean the the person who actually you know had the highest number was a very moderate democrat who talked about crime and had the fop endorsement in, in chicago mm-hmm. um but there's also – like the person who came in second was somebody who was very left, actually left of her, and also black. So I, I don't understand how she is somehow blaming being black for losing when I think Chicago's a majority black city or very close to it. And it's like at what point are we going to stop using these characteristics for every time you lose? It's like Chicago is supposed to be like one of the most liberal cities. Are you saying that liberals now are, are racist? Like, are, like black liberals are racist? Because that's kind of what – I don't understand. At some point – this is Odessa Kelly in Tennessee who is – you know, the excuses she made after she lost were insane. She lost to Mark yeah. Green and got, you know, beaten. She's like, oh, it's because white supremacy. It's like, maybe you're just a really bad candidate. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> that's the case. Maybe, maybe you believe in stuff that other people don't. And like you said, crime is a big factor in Chicago. But she is really, really unpopular. And I, I actually believe that that was, you know, crime's a huge part of it. But I I mean, you can look back in the really, really strict COVID lockdown. Some people said that she was more of a dictator than almost anyone else. Like she was happy to play that role of kind of the, you know, the tough guy saying, Hey, like, no, you're not opening your business. I'm going to fine you. I'm going to do whatever. Um, I just, I, I I'm done with the excuses of, you know, bad policy. It's, of course, there is going to be. Of course, there's always a little bit of racism. There's always a little bit of sexism. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. Sure. But at some point, you can't win with like, like you said, seventy percent, and then lose with sixteen percent, and say, oh, you know, I think there's fifty four percent of people turn racist and sexist in the last four years. That's, that's, that's exactly what happened. What I was that's gonna the only thing. That, that's the that's the only reason I lost is because they all you know more than fifty percent of the city of Chicago, you know decide to become sexist and racist. It, it's ridiculous and it takes away from her credibility and it really shows I think that response shows why she lost. She's so out of touch and she's looking for excuses right to actually fix problems.
0: I will also say I'm loving you know, I brought up the trend of Atlanta, Nashville, Chicago, all these mayors are either losing or not running again and just taking their ball and going home, cutting their losses. Tis the season for accountability, baby. The COVID lockdowns in these big cities were ridiculous. The crime spikes in some of these big cities during COVID, ridiculous. And unfortunately for the mayors, the buck stops with them. They are in charge. They can blame their administration. They can blame their council. They can blame whoever they want to. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the mayor And people were really dissatisfied with how, especially in more reddish, purplish states like Georgia, reddish states like Tennessee, where the governors weren't as crazy strict on lockdowns, but these mayors of the big cities were, accountability's coming into play. And I think that we're going to continue to see that across the U.S., I think. It'll be an interesting trend to try to follow. But I mean... We're
1: seeing three. <laughs> I mean, you're oversimplifying it, though. I think because Keisha well, yeah, would have won.
0: This is a third re podcast. Re-election. We have to yeah, oversimplify. Yeah, she
1: <laughs> she would have won re-election. She chose not to run. I don't think it had anything to do with that. I mean, I think John Cooper. I think that he had a lot of other issues outside of you know that. And I mean, ultimately, I've heard the whole time he was mayor that he might not run again. So I think that this is the first one. But I also, in a disagreement with you, I think Lori Lightfoot is a historically bad. Candidate, I think that after the first time where she was a great yeah. candidate, she wanted to mix up. She wanted to mix up. She's like, I want to fight with the council. I'm done with the corruption. And she ran on this great. It's almost like John Cooper. She ran on this really good message, and then didn't deliver. And when that happens, you know, people expect something. They expected her to kind of get. Obviously, Chicago is one of the most corrupt cities in in the country. She expected them to get something done, and she fought with everybody. She fought with liberals. She fought with conservatives. She fought with moderates. She fought with people who wanted to keep their business. And she somehow made enemies out of everyone it was actually impressive and not in a way where she was useful it wasn't like she was actually fighting for things that mattered. she was just fighting to fight and it's like oh yeah you said one negative thing about me i'm not going to do that i remember going to shoot that press conference like, i'm only going to take i'm going to take questions for people of color i don't want to hear from white people it's like it's just she just did so many dumb things that i do think the crime matters i think lockdowns matter for sure i think that personality still matters in elections and in my opinion she was a a horrendous candidate one like one of the worst after being a great candidate she in the last four years has really made it so that almost nobody liked her and even people like i bet even the people who voted for her didn't really like her they're like oh i don't know this one guy's maybe too liberal for me this other guy's maybe too conservative for me i don't know i don't like her but whatever
0: Um, yeah, Mark, I didn't think that anybody could be better at making enemies than you. But, like, she had 84% of people against her. I think you only maybe have 70% of people against you. So like,
1: 75, yeah, yeah. 75. And that's why I will never run for office. Because, yeah, but no, I mean, it's it really is insane to kind of come in with this really a mandate and ruin it almost immediately. Just oh. fight with everyone. Again, like, she had some of the right enemies. Like, she had the teacher's union as an enemy. She had some of these things. Sure. But then she had every – Everybody was our enemy. I mean, I guess you're going to have the right enemies if everyone in the whole city is your enemy. So,
0: I know. I know. Yeah, you're going to get you're going to get a little bit of everything if nobody likes you. Um, yep. I, I stand on what I said. I do think we're going to see a trend toward accountability for mayors following the lockdown. Maybe accountability for governors. I just think that the last three years have been uh, a really good case study for how people are going to respond to being told being in like an authoritarian state. I don't think Americans. Gavin used Gavin knew some
1: might disagree with that. But That's
0: probably true. But California is a planet. It's, 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 California is a planet all to itself, I think.
1: I, I think that I truthfully and I mean I, I don't mean this, but I think that we want them to be held to account more than they actually are. I think people have forgotten about it. Uh, Not always. I think that I think I think business owners haven't, right? And I think somewhere like Nashville, like say what you want about Nashville, Cooper did a bad job on that. But we were way more open than almost any other city. And I think the very strict ones, I'm sure will have some impact. But you know, it's one of those talking points that seems like it makes sense. But so far in elections, we really have not seen that. It doesn't mean it's not coming, but we have not seen that. Yes, I think it matters to people but it's over now to that which in our minds like it's over but what happens next time we're n- we're not even saying that you know people make a mistake but i don't think anybody's learned from it that's my biggest issue with that
0: this is this is just me and my wishful thinking and my toxic optimism yeah. so call it whatever we you agree, want we
1: agree though <laughs> yeah we agree it it'll affect our votes i don't know if that's how everyone else views that though
0: that's fair um so let's get into mark's favorite it it's, you know, I said, tis the season for accountability. Tis also mm-hmm. the season for brackets, losing money, streaming at the <laughs> television, eating junk food, and having high blood pressure, essentially. Um, Mark, it is March. It is your favorite month. You know, I'm a Christmas girl. Christmas is my favorite holiday. It's my favorite season. Mm. You're a March Madness girl. You love March Madness. <laughs> you love sitting in front of the TV, taking the day off, having a few day beers, watching the like first round games. This is Mark's... Mm finest season this is where he thrives he becomes super mark um so <laughs> let's I, I do
1: identify as as whatever uh, a Mar- march girl or whatever you said i am that's how yeah, i identify so that's you're perfect. a march
0: madness girl i'm a christmas <laughs> yeah. girl you're a march madness girl um so we all know that every single year on my bracket I will lose doing this, and I always do, but I take Alabama to the end. I will always do it. My takes are incredibly unimportant when it comes to March Madness. Mark, you love the little teens. That is like your bread and butter. You love them. We On Beacon's Twitter, Mark treats Beacon's Twitter like his personal Twitter, so he follows people he wants to follow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a
1: personal Twitter, exactly. so yeah, that's how I use it. <laughs>
0: exactly. And so when I get on Beacon's Twitter to post something, I will see – Mid-Major Madness, NCAA, like all this stuff that Mark follows for basketball. And I've started to see them uh, more and more. My phone is actually notifying me of tweets (laughs) because you get on there so much. I'm like, I don't subscribe to this. But let's talk about some of the little teams you're watching this year, particularly from the great state of Tennessee.
1: Yeah, let's give another shout-out to Mid-Major Madness. We do this once a year when you bring this up. but like They, they do the greatest job talking about the small teams. And honestly, yeah, they, they do an excellent job. And they'd be interested in our conversation. So I want to talk about the teams in Tennessee, in our state, that do not get you know the love of – we talk about Vanderbilt and Tennessee and all that stuff. We're going to talk about the small team that have a chance to make the NCAA tournament, that don't you don't get national attention. They don't even get statewide attention. They rarely even get covered by local papers.
0: Yeah. So we're going to talk about
1: them real quick. Let's go through it with teams that have a chance to do something. I'm sorry, Austin Peay. You guys are not very good, so I'm going to skip them. Um, Belmont, start with them. They are the four seed. They moved to the Missouri Valley this year, which is a much better conference than the Ohio Valley where they came from. They've really surprised people, and they got a double buy as the four seed. They, you know. The, their conference tournament started yesterday, I believe. Or no, it starts today. So they are going to have a, a real chance of being a tournament team. They have certainly been Tennessee's most successful you know, mid-major team over the years. They, they really controlled that conference when they were there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Great coach. Um, really good team. Shoots a lot of threes. You know, One of the best players, maybe the best player in the Missouri Valley. It'll be interesting to see them. Moving on, let's talk about East Tennessee State, kind of a down year for them. They have not been as good as normal. Uh, Them and Chattanooga are both in the Southern Conference, um, where, you know, and and for people who don't know, these conference tournaments, so East Tennessee did not have a great year. Um, Chattanooga did not have a great year. I think they they were both, you know, under 500. Um, But all you have to do is win a couple games in a row, and you make the NCAA tournament. Like, you just have to win your conference tournament. So it doesn't matter. It's kind of like you get a, a restart, right? It doesn't matter how badly you ate last year. Mm-hmm. January 1st comes around. It all starts over again.
0: It all starts over. You got space. So,
1: yeah. So everyone, this is like the time of the year where everyone has a chance. And, you know, for these teams, making March Madness is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the – and, and again, you might not win. You probably won't win. But the whole experience of getting there, that these people have – you know, played their hearts out all year. And March, Madness is the goal. Getting there for these small conference teams is a win on itself. And you never know when you get a St. Peter's-like performance from last year. The
0: Peacocks. Year. Man, I think about the Peacocks all the time. Their whole university yep. looks like a jail block. It doesn't even look like a university. <laughs> you know, they kept doing those tours around with the camera, and they, would, they were showing this teeny tiny school that doesn't have a lot of money. It literally looked like a jail block. And yet these guys... Man, they came in ready to play and they went for the gold. They didn't make it, but they fought hard. And I think all of America was cheering for them. And so that's what you have done to me, Mark, is You have made me consider not just my beloved precious Crimson Tide Alabama, but also these small teams because you kind of, you know, basketball is not like football. You do get chances for small teams. They do get to see the light of what it looks like to be on a national stage and my heart goes out to him. I'm here for it. y'all. Know me, I'm mushy gushy, bleeding heart, compassionate, and I love to see the small teams do well.
1: To be clear, St. Peter's in New Jersey, so it basically is a jail cell to begin with, just Fair. being in that state's a jail cell. So, <laughs> um, but the whole that thing. that was a great choice. So yeah, and the last one. I, I mean, Middle Tennessee State's always good. They're gonna have a tough time because they're in a very strong conference, Conference USA, where you have a, a Florida Atlantic team that's actually ranked. Um, and UAB has got a a lot of players. So the last one I'm going to talk about, the the tournament I'm most excited about in Tennessee because it's wide open to the Ohio Valley. So you have Tennessee Tech, who's second place. UT Martin, which is uh, Jordan's alma mater. Oh,
0: yeah. There you go, Jordan. Who's
1: third place. Tennessee State, who's been red hot recently. That's our Nashville uh, thing. They're They're four, so they're all in contention to win this conference. And I'm really excited, and my prediction is absolutely one of those teams gets in the tournament. I think that they have a really good chance. Now, SIU Edwardsville is also tough, and Moorhead State up in Kentucky is a tough team in that conference, but I think that with those three teams, I would take them as a whole over the rest of the conference, so I hope to see one of them there, and then last but not least, which is a perennial kind of tournament team, is Memphis. They're a tough team. They're kind of on the bubble right now, so even if they don't win their conference, they probably get in, and you know, they're a really good team in March, so... Shout out to all the teams we don't talk about. We will follow you. We're excited. And, you know, I think that Ohio Valley is a really good chance for them to get a bid. But like I said, Belmont is good. They could win that conference. And, you know, even though they've underachieved this year, Chattanooga and ETSU are both kind of perennial powerhouses. And again, you got to win four games in a row. That's it. Anybody can do it. And if you have some talent, so... We're excited. We can't wait for Melarch. Good luck to all those teams. We're cheering, and we hope as many Tennessee teams get in as possible. I don't care about the University of Tennessee, um, but the rest of them we hope you get in.
0: Yeah, Mark and I wholeheartedly agree on that. I've never agreed with anything so much in my <laughs> entire life. Um, in addition to being a March Madness girl, Mark is also a trash TV girl. And so is his wife. And they just veg out. This is I'm really exposing you today, Mark, and I don't really care because yeah. you've done it to me a million times. But
1: I'm I, I agree with it.
0: <laughs> you guys, I think that when you found Kira, let me be very clear. Getting married did not make Mark a trash TV girl. He has no, always no. been <laughs> this person. And when he found Kira, it was like fireworks appeared because two trash TV people found each other. He found his perfect match. <laughs> buy- <laughs> yeah,
1: by. I was your- buy- trying to do I- too <laughs> much.
0: Found caffeine. <laughs> your perfect match. Um, Mark, so here's what we're gonna do. There are shows that are on the air that are considered trash TV that we quite frankly cannot believe exist. It absolutely blows my mind that some of these things exist. I mean, I can make a list. Now, I am a rabid consumer of these shows. Like, new episodes of Love is Blind comes out. I'm staying up all night. The new show Me on too. Netflix, Perfect Match, up all night. Um, Awful.
1: I just finished watching that. One of the worst shows ever that I just loved watching.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. I finished <laughs> it last night, and I loved every Really of good. It. it was so terrible. <laughs> um, new, new episodes of uh too hot to handle comes out absolute trash my mother would be horrified i'm watching it i'm watching Mm. the whole thing i'm gonna drink a bottle of wine and watch that whole thing there are so many shows that are absolute trash that we they are our lifeblood mark Mm. what is one show that you cannot believe is on the air right now and yet you will not miss an episode
1: there's two there's three i'm gonna do it real quick uh I Love a Mama's Boy. We talked to Shaquib. That show is insane. One of the most insane shows. Um, I won't go to the details, but MILF Manor, I don't know how that's on the air. It's an insane show. Just so people – It's when mothers who are like in their 50s or like but between like mid-40s and like 60.
0: But they're like hot. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean they had a lot of surgery. And then they come with their like 18 to like 25-year-old sons and then they all date each other. Um, it's one of the craziest things ever and like these moms are watching their – 20-year-old boys going to date with another 60-year-old woman who's in the house with them. And it's just – I don't know how it got on TV. And I, it's a car crash you just can't stop watching, but it's so bad. Like, I don't understand how it got on TV. I don't know how it's still on TV. There's a bunch of articles written about it, though, think pieces, about how insane it is. <laughs> I
0: don't understand how they found people to cast for it because I don't know what kind of people are like – Son, and my precious baby boy, up for this debaucherous television show, but whatever. People are weird.
1: So no, no, they said that they canceled it for a different reason. They're like, oh, it's a dating show where people go on dates with their own age, I guess, and it's like a mother. Like, so they didn't realize what was going to happen. And I knew that. I think two of them dropped out once they found out immediately. Which, like, I can't believe more than that didn't drop out. I don't. <laughs> what is it, I, me what and my mom would no. never do that. <laughs> no. no, not not. If you watch it, it makes perfect sense. To be honest. Um, oh gosh. But then my my new favorite it's Heartbreak Island. It's an Australian dating show on an island. And the best part of this is like like you said, you know, we've seen uh, two out to handle all these other shows on islands, you know, Bachelor in Paradise. The great thing about this show is there is they make up the rules as they go. I love that. They're like they have like two episodes planned and then like it's almost like, oh, we're surprised we're still in the air. Yeah, um, you came in last place, like, oh, you get immunity this week. They just make stuff up. It's incredible. And I love the fact that like even watching you never know what's coming they make up different like they make up like oh you know here's the first time where we're doing this and it's every episode it's the first time they're doing stuff and it's three seasons it's awful
0: but let me say the best part of this show that mark is talking about it's not an mtv show it's not a no. netflix show it's not an no. hbo show what is it on mark
1: <laughs> it's on discovery plus but it's only on it's only on television it, on an australian tv station
0: This show is on Discovery+. Plus. Discovery Channel was one of the few channels my parents let me watch growing up.
1: But it's not not even on Discovery Channel. It didn't even make the channel. It's only on the app. It's it's just a crazy show. And I looked on Amazon, and guess how many reviews it has? The first thing you can tell, guess how many? Two. It has two reviews. And somehow it's been... It's the third season. I don't and I love it. But me and Kira, after last season was we like, well, that was fun. And we were like, you Google, it, is there any way it's gonna be renewed? There was barely any articles about it because nobody knows what it is. And like the one article was like, no, of course not. Nobody watched. It got terrible ratings. And it somehow got a season three. Nineteen yeah. episodes at an hour each, too. So this is like a full day. I know, it's insane.
0: It's a whole day. This is your full time job now, is watching it's Heartbreak insane. Island. Okay, well, mine is a little bit different. I don't understand how The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are still on the air. Guys, think about the premise for the show. (laughs) It started when it started way back a long time ago with original Bachelor Alex. You've got this one decently good-looking guy with like a sales job and 30 women who are willing to kill each other mentally and physically and emotionally to end up with this average guy and they go on (laughs) dates whatever and then you flip it around and you've got the bachelorette which honestly as a woman i feel like is more of the way that nature should go the men fighting over women (laughs) but you've got the bachelorette and you've got all of these i mean we've seen episodes seasons of the bachelorette where there are these Honestly, it feels like testosterone, steroid-fueled men who are willing to fight Chad. each other. Chad. I, we all remember <laughs> Chad. We all remember Chad. These, like, men who, again, for the most part, are subpar as far as I'm concerned. They are not my taste. Going after this one girl, there have been more failed relationships in Bachelor Nation than successful relationships. And yet it's still on. I remember being a little girl and my mom's probably going to listen to this podcast and I'm probably going to get in trouble for it at 31 years old. But she was hanging, she and my dad were hanging out with their best friends and their best friends had twin daughters. None of us were allowed to watch The Bachelor. However, their parents had a really big closet and there was a TV in their closet. And we, while they were all eating dinner, the three of us girls at the ripe age of like 11 went in the closet and watched The Bachelor. My brain did not need that. That probably scarred (laughs) me and made me the way I am today. And I am just really upset about it even now. A Terrible decision making on my part. But this stuff has been on for so long. And I can only think of a handful of successful couples that have stayed together. There's been more controversy than success on this show. And yet it's still happening. And it still has a chokehold on me. And I don't know what it says about America. I don't know what it says about me. It's probably something I should talk to my therapist about. But like, why does this show exist? And why do we watch it? It's a trash fire of a show.
1: I know. Well, first of all, hashtag free Chris Harrison. Uh, I have not watched it since <laughs> they got th- th- yeah uh, since they let him go. I, I didn't watch it. I think that was the biggest BS and like that is cancel culture at its worst. I, I actually I and, haven't
0: watched it since they fired Chris Harrison either. But I do classic me follow all the Instagram and TikTok accounts that talk about it, so I know what's going on. I'm just not giving them the ratings.
1: Well, that's I, I I'm still so mad about that. But I guess my opinion is that. It's like I think people in America and especially you know I I think I'm fair to say that mostly women watch that show it's probably 80% women and then boyfriends who are forced to mm-hmm. um or husbands that are forced to but it really is like this idea I think people just real no matter how many times it's failed they want to believe in like this true love thing and it gives them this hope. But I mean, again, some of the couples have, are still going strong. A lot of them are not. But it doesn't matter how many times it's failed. Because I mean, I think people have that in their own personal lives. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think you would be somebody. It doesn't matter how many times, you know, things have not worked out. You still believe in this. So it's like, even though the last one didn't work out, I want to believe this is still a thing. And then when that next couple does work out, you're like, that's awesome. It makes you feel good. So I don't judge people for watching it, but I hate the way they treated Chris Harrison. I think that is the absolute. Literally the worst example of cancel culture where sometimes you're like, oh, they really shouldn't have said that. Maybe I wouldn't have fired them, but I understand. I don't understand that at all. I think it's absolute garbage. He just told people to be, you know, basically show some grace to people. And that is exactly. enough to fire fire.
0: That's not cancel culture. You know, you said that maybe it's to give people hope while they watch it. Flip side, it could be that one's love life is such a trash fire that you watch it to make you realize that people have it worse than you. You know, it serves many purposes. I, I I think that's
1: Heartbreak Island more than anything. <laughs> but yes, I get it.
0: <laughs> Stephanie really wanted me to sign up for the Pilot Pete season. And Pilot Pete was just a trash fire of a human. So I'm so glad we didn't do that. Mm. But, um, I you know, I've, I've made jokes throughout my life. What if I signed up for The Bachelor? What if I went on The Bachelor? Guys, if I had done that when I was 24... I would probably be in a mental facility to this day. I'm so glad that that never happened. And I, I know people who've been on it. Hannah Brown, she was in, she was in my sorority in college. She's ended up great. It has ruined more lives than it's helped. And I'm just going to say it that way. And, uh, but if you have a show that you think we should watch as, um, ultimate consumers of trash television, please drop it in our comments. We would love new recommendations because we absolutely wear out those streaming services, watching trash TV. Um, Thank you for listening this week. Again, if you want to sign up for the ESA program or you know someone who could or might want to, life-changing opportunity, esa.tnedu.gov. Applications are open for a while, and we've got so much information about it on our website. So if you're curious about education freedom, let me know. Mark, you got something to say?
1: Wait, it's tnedu.gov. ESA. That's so confusing. Why would you have e, – edu is a, dot, a thing on itself. Why would you make it tennesseeedu.gov?
0: Because it's the government, Mark, and nothing's easy when it comes to the government. <laughs>
1: Just tned.edu. Like, it, it, it's because people use edu. Uh, whatever. Okay. Well, please do what she said. I, I, it, it sounded like a mistake, but I know that is right.
0: It's right. I haven't memorized. esa.tnedu.gov. <laughs> It's not up to me. If it was up to me, it would be a whole lot easier than that and a whole lot more accessible. This has been Decaf, a production of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, Apple. We're on all the platforms. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.